Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. If you have a Bible close by, or you can open up the app, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could recognize, be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. Hey, can you believe we only have two more weeks left in our study of Ruth? It's been good, huh? Man, lots of good stuff really speaks uh, to us. And uh, man, it just gives us hope, doesn't it? Uh, I remember when Lori and I were taking our advanced open water scuba diving training. Okay? And it was broken uh, into little segments. And one of them was called uh, underwater navigation. Okay? Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Monterey Bay uh, in um, the springtime uh, where the water is very, very cold and visibility is very, very limited. Okay, Not the place you want to do underwater navigation. 
Uh, or maybe it is if you really want to learn how to use your instruments and navigate. It's kind of like flying, right, with an instrument rating. And on that particular day, the visibility uh, was five to six feet. That was it. That's as far as you could see in front of you. Uh, and so they gave you some coordinates, and you were supposed to go out a certain distance and make a, a right turn, then make another right turn, then make another right turn, uh, and then eventually you'd end up uh, at this designated place. Now, how did you do that? Well, uh, you looked at your pressure gauge, uh, you said, I'm going to go this amount of distance and breathing at this rate uh, should give me an indication of how much air I've used and when I should turn. You also use your compass and then you count your kicks. And so you combine all those things and you try to find your way to this designated point. Okay? It is really, really difficult even under good conditions. Uh, it was so bad that day that the instructors almost canceled the exercise. But he said, no, uh, let's go ahead and try it. And don't worry if you get lost, we'll find you. Okay? Of course, you know, Monterey Bay is right there in the, what they call the Red Triangle, the breeding ground of the great white shark and... There's a lot of things that go bump in the night, and yeah, okay. So, we off, we did our thing, and we're, we're actually holding on to each other, and we're looking at our instruments, and we're looking at our, our air consumption. Uh, one of us is supposed to be counting how many kicks. We're uh, looking at our compass, giving us kind of direction. And uh, we, I mean, we are lost, we cannot see where we're going. We have no idea. And uh, it's very unsettling. Finally, we make our, our, our last turn. And we're coming along. And all of a sudden, it's like out of nowhere. I mean, you just come up on it. There was the instructor and some other students at the designated place. I mean, we, we hit it right on. Now, I could never do that again. We could never do that again. Okay? It was like the proverbial needle in a haystack. Right? And as I think about that experience, I think about what we've been reading in the book of Ruth. I, I think about uh, Naomi, and I think about Ruth, in particular, Naomi. How there are times in life that are so trying, they're so difficult for us, that it's as if we're trying to navigate and we can't even see five feet in front of us. And so what do you do then? Well, as Christ followers, as Christians, uh, we, we use our instruments, don't we? We pray, okay? We remember God's faithfulness in the past and his promises. We go to God's word that gives us direction and encourages us to walk in faith 
even when it seems like we can't see or know where we're going, let alone end up in our desired location. I mean, there, there's a lot, I think, of similarities, isn't there? And, and that's exactly what was going on uh, with Naomi. Her husband dies. Her two sons die. She has left with two daughters-in-law uh, who have been married for 10 years, yet neither one have had children. At her encouragement, one of the two daughters-in-law leaves, turns back, goes back to her family, uh, to her Moabite gods, uh, to find hope there. And she, along with her daughter-in-law Ruth, they, they forge forward in the murkiness and the unsettledness um, of their lives. And they're, they're doing what they know to do, and yet you and I know that even though we pray, and, and, and even though we recall God's faithfulness and promises, and even though we go to His Word, and even though we travel together as community, there are people alongside of us, um, in those murky, unsettled times, <clears throat> it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. And uh, we see that. Now, last week, <clears throat> you remember the title of the message was called Hope Renewed. In chapter 1, open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth or your electronic device. In, in chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 20, we recall that as Ruth returned back to Bethlehem, she was greeted by people who said, can this be Ruth? And then in verse 20 she says, uh, this, can this be Naomi? In verse 20 she says, don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara. Okay, Naomi means pleasant, Mara means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. In other words, listen, I went away with my husband and two sons, but now the Lord has brought me back without them, destitute with little hope. So that's where she is as we come to the conclusion of chapter 1. But remember last week, <clears throat> we saw that Ruth asks for permission. Ruth goes out and uh, she goes and she gleans from the field. She meets a man named Boaz and everything starts to change. And she finds um, the Lord's blessing, his hand upon her, through the person of Boaz. And in fact, when she asked Boaz, why have you found favor with me, or why have I found favor with you? Boaz says, well, I've heard about you, your faithfulness to your mother-in-law, all the things you're doing. I know that you are a woman of, of great character. I know that you're a hard worker. I know all these things about you, but the real reason that you're finding blessing is because you have sought shelter, refuge, in the Lord, under his wing, right? That's why you found blessing. 
And she goes back to her mother-in-law, and in chapter 2, verse 20, all right, we see hope renewed. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, that man is our close relative, speaking of Boaz. He is one of our family guardians or a kinsman redeemer. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Now, remember last week I said in the nuances of the Hebrew language, uh, she is not talking about Boaz. She's talking about the Lord. And so what we see here in verse 20 of chapter 2 is hope renewed. Suddenly, she sees a clearing. It's not so murky or dark anymore. Suddenly, she's seen the results of God working in unseen ways, behind the scenes. All is not as it appears. Right? God's been at work in his providential care, in his sovereignty. And not only is he working a plan to care for Naomi and for Ruth, uh, but he has a much bigger plan in this. And so you see a, a, a real pivot point in the story. You go from chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me pleasant, for I am bitter, right? Don't call me Naomi, my name is Mara. To chapter 2, verse 20. Again, verse 20. To, wow, look at the Lord. Look at his kindness. Look at his faithfulness. Look at what he's been doing. You see that? And so that's a real um, turning point in the story. Chapter 2, verse 20. All right? Now we're going to come to chapter 3. In chapter 3, you're going to see some things that are really amazing. But as we read them, we are able to look back. Okay? Imagine these things unfolding with people that it's happening for the first time. They're looking forward. And they don't know the rest of the story. They're just seeing God reveal himself a little bit at a time here, a little bit at a time there. And before long, there's a picture that's starting to unfold to the point where we've gone from hope renewed, okay, um, to a hopeful waiting. So she started out hopeless and wanting, then she gets to a place where her hope is renewed. Could it be? Look what the Lord's doing. It's, it, he really is caring. It's not as bad as it first seemed. And in this chapter, there's hopeful waiting now. And the interesting thing is the chapter starts out, Naomi is a completely different person because her hope has been renewed. She's no longer kind of stuck um, lamenting because the Lord is revealing himself in his goodness and his kindness she now is what? Taking initiative she is active and involved and we see that in the first six verses of chapter 3 where she begins now to have a plan 
to have a plan. And, and her plan is this. She knows that Boaz is a family guardian, a kinsman redeemer. And she knows that there's a hope that their family name and their family inheritance can be saved or redeemed by Boaz. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, just write that down, you'll read about this whole family guardian, kinsman, redeemer, where in a situation like um, Naomi's or Ruth's, the closest male relative in the immediate family could save the family name and the family inheritance by redeeming or, if you will, purchasing the family property or things of the value of the family and or marrying the widow. Okay? And that was allowed for uh, in the Jewish law and custom and practice. And usually it was the, f- the, the first or the oldest or the, the, the relative that was closest to the person who was deceased. And so she knows that. And she knows that Boaz, whose name means in him is strength, okay, can possibly be the family redeemer or the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Because she wants to make sure that Ruth is taken care of. That, that Ruth has a future. And so suddenly she's thinking, she's engaged, she's saying, what if? Could the Lord work this out for us? And so she has a plan. And the plan is for Ruth to put on fine clothes and perfume, to wait until after the day of work is done on the threshing floor, and to send Ruth in to the threshing floor once Boaz is settled for the evening. And once he's settled, she gives him gives uh, her instruction to lay at his feet. Now, the purpose of that is not for seduction, okay? Um, the purpose is that Ruth, in laying at his feet, is taking the place of a, of a servant. And, and the servant, often, in these instances, a servant, would lay at the master's feet. So that in and of itself is not unusual. But, but here's kind of the backstory to all this. Boaz is a generation older than Ruth. Boaz is a contemporary of Naomi. And even if Boaz had an attraction or had an interest or, or saw Ruth as a, as a noble woman, a woman of great character, and, and someone that would make a good wife, uh, because of their age difference, uh, he wouldn't initiate something like that. So when Ruth lies down at his feet, and as we see here in verse 7, 
When Boaz finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled Boaz. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked, okay? I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a family guardian. Right? What Ruth is really saying there is, listen, I know you are a kinsman redeemer. And I am open to being your wife. I am open to you following what the law allows and taking me and ostensibly Naomi and our family in under your garment or your wing to save our family name and our inheritance. In other words, it was a much younger woman, a generation younger, saying to an older man, I'm available and it's okay with me if you have interest. That's what's going on there. So, there are several nuances in this. Do you remember when Boaz spoke uh, to Ruth and, and told her that you're being blessed because you've taken shelter, right? Refuge in the Lord is under his wing. Remember that? Now, the word garment in the language is the same as wing. And so when she says, place your garment over me, it is making um, reference to a custom or a practice where a kinsman redeemer or a, a male in the family, a husband, a provider, a protector would literally place his garment over and that's a symbol of protection, of provision. But much more than that, it is, if you will, representative of what God does. And God working through Boaz to provide protection and provision for Ruth and Naomi. Do you you see that? In fact, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 8, the Lord actually refers to Israel as Uh, his wife, if you will, and he says, and I place my garment over her to protect her, to provide for her, to love her, like a husband would a a wife. And so the Lord uses that language in Ezekiel, through the prophet Ezekiel. So we, we see that, and that's what's going on here. Another thing we see is that Boaz is a type of Christ. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ pays the price to redeem us so that we would have protection, provision, and an eternal inheritance. Not only that, as you see Boaz, a Jew, who is going to offer himself to be a kinsman redeemer for Uh, Ruth, who is a Moabite convert, 
but still a Moabite, what that prefigures and, and really shows is what's going to happen with the gospel. Where the gospel is not only for the Jew, but also for who? The Gentile. The outsider. And, and so we see this prefigured in here as well. But on Father's Day, I think it's really important for us, men, to focus on the one whose name means, in him there is strength. That's Boaz. And we see several things about Boaz. Several godly characteristics. In fact, it's interesting. In this passage, Boaz says, everyone knows about you, Ruth. Everyone knows that you are a woman of noble character. You're a woman of noble character. She's a woman of virtue. Right? But Boaz is a man of valor. And so you have a, a woman of virtue and a man of valor. The one whose name means in him there is strength. And the two of them ultimately will be what? Husband and wife. And they're going to have uh, a son, Obed. Obed have a son, Jesse. Jesse has a son, David. And it's in the line of David that the Messiah comes. Jesus Christ. And it goes all the way back to a story about a woman of noble character, a woman of virtue, and a man of valor. It's amazing how God is working out the big picture. But what was it about Boaz? Well, first of all, he's a man of faith. He's a man of faith. And because of that, there's integrity in his life. There's great character. She, Ruth, is a woman of noble character, but so is Boaz. In a sense, he's a man of character. He has integrity. He has a great reputation. That's why Naomi could send Ruth to lie at his feet during the night and know that being a man of good reputation, a man of integrity, that even if he had some kind of inclination, romantic inclination towards her at that time, that he wouldn't act on that, that she was safe in doing that. Do you see that? He was reliable. He provided for his workers. He provided for those around him. He was a, a leader in the community. He also was responsible. He took his role seriously. He was generous. We see all through this story, going all the way back to chapter 2, where he provides his gleanings for Ruth, but even more than that, he goes above and beyond what the law requires or suggests. He's generous. And you know at the end of the story where before she leaves, he, he fills her shawl with grain? Uh, the, the weight of that is estimated to be between 60 and 80 pounds. It's double what he gave her last time in chapter 2. See great generosity. We see the qualities of this godly man, a man of character, a reliable man, a responsible man, a generous man.
And as we move into chapter 4, ultimately he's going to be the man who will be the kinsman redeemer. Right? And as I said, you know, it's a, a type of Christ. It, it points to the one who ultimately will be our redeemer. The one who will guarantee our inheritance. The one who will provide for us. The one who will protect us. The one who loves us so much he gave his life for us. Okay? So you see that prefigured in the person of Boaz. Um, I want to speak to the men in the church as I close. Um, I really identify with Naomi and, and Ruth. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. There wasn't a, a father figure in my life, biologically speaking. But there were men in my life, men of noble character, men of valor, men who were reputable, responsible, men of integrity, men who were generous with their time and their money who poured into my life. God used them providentially to, to be as a redeemer, if you will, in my life. Who, through their sacrifice, if you will, um, were instrumental in helping me and, and, and several of them pointing me to Christ. And so, men, I want to say to you that we have a role to fulfill. There's an example that, that, that we can be a part of the work of Christ in somebody's life. It doesn't have to be your own son or daughter. Royal Family Kids Camp, you're going this uh, Monday, tomorrow. Kids are coming, right? These are kids in the foster care system. What a difference. The men who are involved are making a difference, as well as the women, but I'm speaking to men now, Okay? that there is a role for us to play in, in people's lives. Whether it be a, a young man or a young woman who doesn't have a, a male role model or father figure. And so as we come to the conclusion of chapter 3 and we, we're setting it up for, for something very wonderful in chapter 4, uh, on Father's Day, I, I just want to commend you men. want to encourage you to continue Okay? to be men that it would be said in him there is strength and that that strength would be the strength of the Lord and that you would make a difference in the life of, of someone like me right because I'm here in large part because of men like you that cared enough to make a difference God used them mightily in my life and so I want to encourage you men to continue to be men like Boaz. To step up, to step out, and to step into the lives of those around you who are looking for what God wants to offer through you. Amen? Amen. Amen.